0: Uh, We are continuing uh, going through John. We are still in chapter 3 as we were last week. And we're looking at the second half of the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, came to Jesus at night to ask him some questions. He had seen something about Jesus that told him that Jesus had some good things to share with him. Uh, Jesus uh, told him about being born again. That this being born again was a work of the Spirit and not up to people. And then we arrive at John 3.16-21, to 21, our passage for today. I just want to give us a note of caution as we come to read this and think about this. Because I wonder, particularly for those who have been around church, any church, this church, for a while, John 3.16 is probably a verse we are incredibly familiar with. I'd say it's probably the most popular verse there is around. And so we might get a tendency in our heads to potentially switch off as we come to read it. We come to this passion, we think, yeah, we know this one. This is a sermon I don't really need to listen to. I've heard loads of sermons on this before. But as we come to it, I want us to come to it with the heart and with the approach that Jesus called Nicodemus to. Uh, So look quickly uh, at chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? He's saying to Nicodemus, uh, one who thought he knew the whole truth, that there are some things you do not yet understand. I'm sure as we come to this verse, uh, we have heard all the sermons. In our heads we can agree with it and know it but I trust and I know that as we look at this verse in this chapter, uh, God will do a work in our hearts to make this uh, verse, uh, root, uh, to have this verse root our lives, to change our hearts and not just our heads. So you probably won't hear a whole load of new things about John 3.16. If you do, I've probably just said something wrong. (laughs) But I hope we will soak in it. We will allow ourselves uh, to spend time uh, enjoying and savoring this verse and the truth that it points to and the verses that follow on from it. Uh, so let's read John 3:16 to 21. Uh, if you need a Bible, there are some at the back. You are always welcome to grab one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Amen. Uh, so, in our time together, really we're just going to walk very slowly through verse 16. And the other verses uh, that we read as well will help to uh, paint a bit more light on what is going on in verse 16. Uh, we're going to walk uh, so slowly. Uh, so the, fir- the, the verse 16 starts, the first two words, for God. And I want us to pause there uh, for a moment. We're not going to go that slowly every single two words. But it's important that the verse starts with those two words. As Jesus is sharing with Nicodemus the hope for humanity, this big message of faith, this big message that Jesus has come to share, it is essential that this story of hope starts with God. This whole passage can be uh, summed up really in a series of verbs attached to God. God loves, God gives, God saves, God exposes. The story of hope starts and continues and ends with the work of God. The hope for humanity that Jesus wants to share is not a hope that Nicodemus needs to change, that Nicodemus needs to do better. I think as we look across the world, I think younger generations are kind of falling captive to this a bit more. There is a tendency to think that hope for ourselves, or hope for this world, is all down to us. I was thinking more in younger generations. I think uh, they are very good at spotting problems in the world and being very vocal about them. I think there's certain uh, injustices and prejudices that have existed for a while that, um, that younger folks are, are really well able to point out. But I think a lot of the solutions that younger folks tend to offer is that we need to fix it all. That we need to make sure uh, that as we look at the problems in the world that we are at every single campaign to stop them, that we retweet every helpful tweet, that we stand up for all causes, that we be perfect. And the result of what we see from a lot of that is one blip in a social justice cause, one little bit of not quite living up to the standards we set And there's a cancellation, there's a failure, there's a wiping out of any good that person may have done. That's on a a grand scale as we look at hope for the world. As we look at ourselves and the hope that we long to have, I think we also try and start the sentence with, for us. Rather than this being for God, we think, well, well, I'll just fix myself a little bit and then I can come to God's. That this story of salvation that Jesus offers, well, maybe it's down to to me fixing myself enough first. That problems we have, either problems with sin or just problems going on in our lives, the first person we often turn to might be ourselves. John 3.16 reminds us that as we have a hope for humanity on a big scale, a hope for us, that our hope is only and firmly and thankfully and joyfully rooted in God's, in His loving, His giving, His saving, and His exposing. The story of hope starts with God. Uh, we'll continue. Uh, For God so loved the world. Uh, just a quick note, uh, and you'll probably have a, uh, a little footnote in your Bible. Um, but the way this is translated, at least in the ESV, can sometimes be a little confusing. Uh, this so is not a, a so that like exaggerates something. So it's not, um, church went on too long, I was so hungry at the end, or those kids were so loud, or um, that sermon was so boring. Uh, it's not one of those so's. It's a so uh, like in the question, how so? Or we might say, it is so. Uh, so the footnote in the church Bibles uh, says, for this is how God loved the world, My Bible at home uh, translates it, for God loved the world in this way. God loved the world in this way, and the way he loved the world is what he reveals uh, in the verses to come. The world, the object of that love, would have been a uh, a pretty controversial phrase in the conversation Jesus is having. So Nicodemus, teacher of the law, uh, like many others of the Jewish people, probably would have come to Jesus or come to the whole uh, idea of his approach to life with a sort of elitism about their cultural heritage, about their religious heritage. It would have been pretty uh, confident that the Jews were the best people around, that they were specially loved by God, and the world around them, the Gentiles, they were the sinners, they were the unclean ones, They were the ones who did not deserve God's love. Look at the way in other stories uh, people treat the Samaritans. Dirty outcasts. But Jesus is telling Nicodemus that God loves the whole world. It includes all. And unlike what Nicodemus uh, thought of those who deserve God's love, uh, the Jews who kept the law, who did all the right things. This love for the world means that Jesus loves, that God loves people who reject Him, who fail every step of the way, who don't measure up to the standard that God sets. Now we see this in verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The world naturally, us as we enter it, does not come believing in God. And so the world stands condemned. We as people, born dead in sin, part of the world that has rejected God and pushed him away. Even gone so far as to hate God and to blaspheme him. And so it makes sense for us. Hey, if the world is like that, if we can say that all people, at least at one stage, have fitted into that, why on earth would God love the world so much? And so without believing in Jesus, The world stands condemned to die. Like a man sitting on death row, guilty as charged. Uh, Verse 19 helps us understand more of what is going on uh, in the world and the sin of the world. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Uh, This Jesus, uh, already been called, as we uh, before this in John, the light of the world. But as people living in darkness, uh, we and others have have rejected this light, continuing to walk in darkness, to walk in sin and transgression, to walk away from this God. And it is that world, full of sinners then, full of sinners now, that God loves. And as we continue, we'll see, well, well, how does God actually love? What does it mean, what does it cost for God to love the world? The story of hope Jesus shares with Nicodemus, the story of hope we have, is a story that starts with God loving a broken world. We'll continue the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Uh, Sometimes we uh, like to ask the question around around Christmas time, or whatever, of, what do you get somebody who has everything? Uh, If there was a billionaire uh, that you know, then, first of all, congratulations. Uh, And also, what do you get them for Christmas? You know, they have everything, they can uh, buy everything, it really costs them nothing. I think an equally valid question we probably don't ask very often is, what can a billionaire get somebody To actually show love to them. If they can purchase anything. Get anything at the drop of a hat. Does that gift really show much love? As we wonder about this gift from God. We might ask what can an all sufficient. All powerful. All knowing. Perfectly satisfied. Wonderful God give. That actually costs anything. Sure, we can recognize uh, so many things in our lives that are blessings from God. And we praise him for those because we really don't deserve them. Only from the goodness of his heart and his love for us does he give us any of these things. I think a beautiful day like this shows us that God blesses us. God speaks all these things into existence with a few words. But this gift, this gift is not some drop-of-the-hat gift. This is a gift that costs God the life of his only son, Jesus. God loved the world in this way, that he is willing to sacrifice his one and only son. What gift could God give that would cost him? He gives us his son. And the gift of his son as he is sent into the world, as verse 17 tells us, he is sent not to condemn but to save. Uh, Picture that uh, man on death row again. If uh, the victim of that uh, crime that has caused that man to be on death row turned up to the prison, there's no need for that victim to go there and condemn. The condemnation has already been given. The judge has given the verdict. As Jesus comes to the world, there is no need for him to come and condemn. Condemn. The judgment, the verdict has already been delivered uh, as we saw in verse 18 that we stand if we do not believe in Jesus as already condemned. That is the natural state of the whole world. And so this arrival of Jesus cannot be to condemn because that would be pointless. But this arrival of Jesus onto the scene is to save. As the verse continues, we see what it is uh, to be saved from and saved to. The other reason we see that God gave his only son is to expose. Uh, Look with me at, at verse 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed." Jesus came to save, not to condemn, and he came to expose the darkness. If you, for any reason, uh, entered my flat and it was pitch black, you might think, okay, this flat seems fine, a bit of a pong, but that's okay. But if you were to flick on the light switch, what you'd see is that a bomb has obviously gone off in there. You'd see a mess everywhere that you could not see when it was in darkness. As Christ enters the world, he, as the light of the world, exposes what is already there. We just couldn't see it because of the darkness. He exposes that sin, that lack of belief in him that condemns us. And by him being this perfect light, we see the darkness within us. In Jesus, we see true humanity revealed. That is who we are designed, who we are meant to be, is reflections of Jesus. The way he loves and lives his life, his keeping of the whole law, his sinlessness. That is our aim. And as we gaze on Jesus and reflect on Jesus, we realize so quickly that we fall very short. We often, uh, and I fall guilty to this, uh, need to recognize that we are sinners and spend all the time looking at ourselves to, to try and pick out all the bad bits. As Jesus is the light of the world, if we want to realize we are sinners, we just have to spend time looking at him. And in him we will see perfection. And the natural response to that will be to realize we fall so short. This passage tells us people love the darkness. Maybe if you were in my flat, you'd wanna turn back off the light. To be ignorant of what is going on, to be able to continue. As we gaze on Jesus as the light, we might realize that we are worse than we thought. We might realize there are things in our lives that need to change. We might realize there are issues going on. But Jesus calls us, please do not turn off the light and reject Jesus from that. What he offers as we live in the light is far greater than anything the darkness could pretend to offer us. If you are not yet a Christian and you you are thinking about being a Christian but the cost seems too great, I urge you to see that the light is far better that the hope that John 3.16 offers us is a, is a huge hope that lasts through all things. If you are a Christian struggling to repent of something. To really fight against that sin. To give up those idols in our lives. Please keep the light on. Please keep looking at and reflecting on Jesus. Jesus. And, yeah, you may see things uh, in life that need to change, but you will also see a glorious Savior, the one sent out of a love for you from God, the one given for you to die for you. And as we'll go on to see, the one we'll get to be with forever. Uh, The last bit on that he gave his only son to note is the importance of that word only. Uh, It's then uh, repeated in verse 18 at the end, believed in the name of the only Son of God. In one sense, the only is important uh, because it emphasizes that cost that it is to God, that he gave his one and only Son. But it's also showing us that Jesus, his giving, is all sufficient. There is no more for God to give. There is no more sacrifice needed, no more salvation to be delivered, but it is once and it is done. That Jesus really died once and that is enough for anything. So whether uh, you trusted in Jesus a long time ago, but since then you think, uh, well, well maybe I've, I've sinned a bit too much and I need to sacrifice more know this, that that cross that saved you on the first day you became saved is the cross that saves you forever. That his death is enough to take the sins of the world. That his death is enough for you and for me. That there is no more sacrifice we can offer to top up that sacrifice. But his death is enough for you and for me. The story of Hope is that God loved that broken world so much that He gave His one and only Son to it. And to what end? That's the final part of the verse. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, that word whoever, uh, showing to, to Nicodemus and to us the all-encompassing nature of this gift of Jesus. That is for the whole world, that whoever believes in him will not perish. Not just uh, some subset of religious folks, some people from some place, but whoever. That all may come. And the task, the call, would have shocked Nicodemus too. That this gift to be received is not to be uh, received by following the law perfectly. Nicodemus standing before God would have been dependent on how many sacrifices he offered, how well he kept the law, how many uh, of the traditions he managed to keep to. Jesus is saying, with this gift of Jesus, those things offer nothing. All you have to do is believe in him. And that's so counter-cultural, not just to Nicodemus, but to us as well. We might hear the phrase, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We think there are uh, so many things we have to work for. Really, nothing in this life is just given. You work at school for your grades. You work for your job and your paycheck. You work hard for all things. But this is a gift that is just given that anyone who comes and believes in Jesus will receive. And in believing in Jesus, uh, will not perish, but have eternal life. There'll still be a physical death that should be no surprise to us. But it is pointing uh, to a hope that after that death, there is a life to come. That the truer death has been died, has. Has, that the truer death uh, has been uh, handed on to Jesus. That he has died in our place. That the death our sin deserves is paid for by Jesus. Imagine again that man uh, sitting on death row. The victim, uh, the one that they have persecuted uh, their whole life, sinned so heavily against, comes to the jail walks past the jail cell and dies in that person's place. And in that death, the criminal's door flings open and they are free. In Jesus' death on the cross for us, we, guilty as could be, walk free. As Jesus dies on the cross for us. And what's more, three days later, uh, to ensure this promise of eternal life, Jesus rises again. And so we, uh, we trust that we will rise one day because Jesus rose that day. And in that resurrection, we have hope. Hope for an eternity with him, eternal life. Our uh, Hope for after we die, but this eternal life starts now. That now as Christians, we can have life in relationship with this Jesus with this gift to us. For a long time, this hope of a life after death to me seemed more like uh, a nice idea we, we, we hear in church. Uh, but something, and I, I just want to blame age on this that I guess I, I didn't really count on that much. Okay, see, maybe in a lot of years that'll become our hope that is more real to me. And it really wasn't until uh, attending funerals of of family members or others in the church that I saw what a difference this hope of eternal life makes. That as we go uh, to the funeral of somebody who believes in Jesus, we go there knowing even rejoicing that we will see them again one day. That that is our hope, completely unique to any other hope this world can offer. That that is our hope that cannot be taken away. At my grandfather's funeral last year, we read a lot of the words of 1 Corinthians 15, rejoicing that death is defeated. I remember as my, as my dad gave a eulogy, He ended it uh, with tears in his eyes, looking forward to the day he would see his father again. The cost of following Jesus might seem really great. We might struggle to see that it's worth it. We might be tempted to turn off the light switch. And if we are less focused on that hope that will last for eternity greater than anything anything else could offer. A hope only found in Jesus. A hope given to us, freely, in love with joy. The story of hope for humanity is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have shared with us the hope that we can have. Our hope that starts and ends with you, not a hope dependent on us. Thank you for your love for the world despite the world's hatred of you. Thank you for this free gift of your one and only son. Thank you that he gave his life for us. That we will not perish but we will have eternal life. Lord would that be our hope that burns so deeply into our hearts that we long for and look forward to eternity with you. If we are not yet believing in our hope, I pray that you would change our hearts to believe in it. If we are struggling uh, to believe it because of uh, trials or temptations or anything in this world, would you make Jesus just so much more visible to us? Thank you for this glorious news. Help us as we go from this place to continue to soak in the news that you have for us, in the sun that you have given to us. Amen.